You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Vanna White isn't here today, but I've got Justin back in the back, and he's going to give you a picture. Flip up a picture for me here. All right, so this is what it says in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy in the 22nd chapter says this. It says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now, show us what two ox looks like together. All right, now that's what it should look like. And you saw what the ox and the donkey look like. So you might say, well, yeah, everybody ought to know that, right? Because I can just see the ox and the donkey, and they're out together, and they're plowing. And I can just see what would happen to them. You know, you got this big, strong ox. you got this little bitty donkey. They're different sizes. I'd suspect, and Paul, probably you'd verify as a farmer, you'd see that what they'd probably be doing is they'd be plowing in circles because they would not be equally yoked. And so it's something that we that instinctively we know. Well, in our scripture today that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about two characters particularly that are Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul is the Saul, but Paul becomes the Romanized name, the, the Greek name for Saul. And, but you'll still see it kind of used interchangeably. But what we see is we start seeing the power in scripture of people that are equally yoked. Not like the picture of the donkey and the oxen, but we're going to see the, the power of guys that are equally yoked. They're equally lo- yoked to each other, that we'll see, but we'll also see that they're equally yoked even with the brothers and sisters that they're going to be involved in the ministry with. Now, I'm going to concentrate on four things today just to drop those out for you. Here's what I'm going to concentrate on today. I'm going to concentrate first on being properly yoked. We're starting to talk about that. Then on encouragement. Then on your tag, you'll get that after a while if you don't know what a tag is. And then what our part is. So we're going to start in, we're in the 11th chapter of Acts. We're going to pick it up in, nine, in verse 19. We're going to go to only 13 verses today. So it's going to be a pretty short burst, but I think it's got some great information in it. Acts 11, 19. Of course, if you've got the version app, you'll have a lot of my notes in there and something that you can take home and look at as well. So, um, Stephen, we've already learned a little bit about Stephen. But you may remember that Stephen was a young guy. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was brash. He was bold. I mean, he took on the fact that he, you know, he took on Jesus' resurrection and, and, and what the change had been in his life. And I mean, he spoke boldly about it. Well, you can understand that when he was, the Sanhedrin did not take that lightly because not only did they not want him talking about this resurrection because that pointed to this Messiah that obviously they didn't think had come yet. So but this time, just in case in history, of course, Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's spent the 40 days here. This is now the new church in Acts that we're describing and talking about. So the Sanhedrin called him before them. Well, you know, I don't know what you all would do, but... You know, you get kind of put under a microscope and maybe you get called into the principal's office or into the boss's office, whatever stage of life you're in. And, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of listen. Well, he didn't just listen. He went ahead and explained to him, no, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is the proof of how we got here. Well, the Sanhedrin, not only were they not happy about what he had to say, but they literally dragged him out in the street and they stoned him to death. Now, we also know that Paul was a party 
to that type of thing. But, when, but now that Paul has had this change in his life, so we're going to pick it up at 19, but it's going to mention Peter, or Stephen, and I wanted you to know kind of again, just a reminder of the background. It says in verse 19, it said, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So what he's doing is, and you know, it would have been common knowledge, but he's, he's, he's given them this graphic picture of what it would have been like. He said, so these people, when they saw what happened to Stephen, they scattered because <laughs> they understood that that's a picture of the horrific things that might happen to us. Because if somebody asks me if I'm a believer, I'm going to have to fess up and say, yes, I'm a believer. But then that's the kind of thing, that's that horrific picture of that event that you know had to be processed. So they, it says that they scattered uh, after that persecution. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now some of them, however, some men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. And just for the sake of geography, it wasn't just here to Siloam. It was a hike. So it was a committed thing. These guys went from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they went to Antioch. And it said when they went there, they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. Now, understand that when you go through and you start trying to find out, so when did they really start expanding the church? This is really the first instance that we understand that they, that they took on this whole new thing of talking to the non-Jews and realizing, hey, you all can be a part of this God's kingdom as well. So it goes on to verse 21, and it says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now what they're talking about is they're talking about the good news. Okay, you kind of, Somebody caught you on the street and said, what's the good news of the gospel? Most of you could characterize that, but it's really kind of the, the cliff notes, if you will, of the gospel. It's about the fact that this, this Messiah, this, this God child came to earth. He was born here. He lived like us. He understood what was going on. He, he, he taught all these valuable things. He died literally for our sins so that our sins could be wiped out. He, he was put to death, to, uh, an agonizing death, but was resurrected on the third day. These things become a part of that story. And it wasn't just a story, when they're talking about the good news, it wasn't just a story of salvation, but it was the fact that he was also talking about how the Holy Spirit can work in your life right now. I think sometimes as Christians we, we kind of go, okay, I've got salvation, I've kind of got that one, cha-ching, you know, I've, I've accepted Christ, I, I can do that, I've got that. But then sometimes I think we sell short the fact what the Holy Spirit can do through us. Because we look at us and we see our flaws, we see our humanness, and we say, well, what could God use me for? But I'm telling you when, you, when you see a lot of the characters that we see in the Bible, we understand that that good news spreads to all of us. And it does have to do while we're here on earth, not just what happens after we leave this earth. In verse 22, it goes on, it says, News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, it's one of our key characters, to Antioch. It was about a 300-mile trip from Jerusalem. So when he arrived and he saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he was encouraged. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now Barnabas, 
understand his name literally means the son of encouragement. So he was encourager. When people talk about encouragers in the Bible, Barnabas always comes up in that discussion. So here's a question for you. Do you have encouragers in your life? Think about it a minute. Do you have encouragers in your life? Because I'm telling you, that is, that's a critical thing for us. To be mentally healthy, to feel good about who we are and what we're doing. Not from a boastful way, but how, how critical it is, you know, that we do that. And you know what? Not only do we need encouragers in our life, but what we need to ask the question, how much do I encourage other people? You know, there's a saying that I liked, I picked up a few years ago, nothing I have is original. I learned it someplace, and usually I don't remember where. But I love the statement the person said, and it was really talking about rearing and raising children. But it works, it's the same thing in a workplace, in home, wherever. And that's the fact it's this. It says that catch people more often doing things right than you do catching them doing things wrong. Didn't say it well, but let me say it again. So... Catch people doing things right much more often than you do catching them doing things wrong. And sometimes, you know, we do catch ourselves. It seems like everything out of our mouth is, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But the reality is what, what needed to happen and what needs to happen with encouragers, I'm sure Barnabas was good at it, he was catching people doing things right. And then he went on to amplify that. You, you take that and you build on that, and he did that very thing. This, this is what it says in Hebrews in the 10th chapter. Now, usually in the context of hearing somebody stir things up, it's negative, right? Oh, yeah, they stir things up. Every time you see them, they're stirring something up at the workplace. Well, in this, in this particular uh, passage, stirring up is a positive thing. Listen to what it says, just a couple of short verses. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more to see the day drawing near. Now, I could pull a lot of things out of that. It could be a sermon in itself. But what it is saying, it says, encouragement is, we need to stir that up. We need to stir up love in each other. We need to encourage each other. And he, and he goes on, he said, don't neglect meeting together, as some of you are. So even then... People were making choices that there were a lot of things more important than coming together as the body of Christ. And I'm going to encourage you, whether you're online or you're here today, I'm going to tell you that is a big deal in your life. And it, and it pays dividends. It's, it should be a big deal in the life of your children and having your children in, as part of the body and doing that on a regular basis. In verse 25, it goes on, this Barnabas, this son of encouragement, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, there's different opinions about that, but you may go back and remember we talked, when I talked last time, he had escaped twice because he, because he, had, he had come from this guy that was chasing Christians to being a Christian himself. And so as a reality of that, he had a lot of people that they didn't buy it, Right? I don't know if you've ever done it, but sometimes you see a change in somebody's life and maybe you kind of go, okay, I'm kind of skeptical. I know you before, right? And I know who you were before, and all of a sudden you're like supposedly this other person. Well, see, that's the same thing that he got because they remembered all, all of this negative and terrible stuff he did chasing down the people that were these people of the way, the Christians. 
after his conversion experience. But what we do know and what scholars say is he was there for an extended period of time in Tarsus after he fled to get away. And what he was doing, he was building his faith, he was studying, he was letting the Lord speak to him, the Holy Spirit fill him. And some people say he may have been there as long as 10 years before this happened and Barnabas went to get him at Antioch. So he went and found him and he brought him to Antioch. Now, interestingly, Antioch is called the Christian or the cradle of Christianity. So some of what we're reading here and what happened in these early days and starting to talk, talk to the non-Jews, all this became kind of this bedrock stuff that's happening. Now, Antioch was kind of like this, one of the Roman hubs of commerce. A lot of things going on there. They, they say at that time, it was about a half a million people. Now, just try to go find Antioch on the map today. It's a little Turkish town with a population of about 3,500. So they went from being northwest Arkansas, if you will, to being Huntsville. No, no offense for you Huntsville people. But, but, it, but, but it was a, a dramatic change that's happened. But at that time, this city was a vibrant place. I mean, it had it going on. There was a lot of, a lot of things there. So for, for a whole year, it says, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians for the first time at Antioch. Now, you might ask the question, well, what's significant about a name? What's significant about a name? See, Christian was the, was the term, the tag, if you will, that characterized the person that was a follower of Christ. Christianos. Christianos, follower of Christ. That's the Greek. Now, that was a tag, the follower of Christ. Some of the given names, you know, have significance. I don't know about names in your situation, like my name is Thomas. You know, as I used to, I really was Tommy most of the time. Then I became Tom when I got older. I still go home back where I was from. If, I, if there's anybody still alive that I, that's still there, you know, I'm still Tommy back in Baxter Springs, Kansas. But see, my uncle, was named, his nickname was Tom. And so I was named after my uncle Tom, if you will. And so nicknames, sometimes they do, they carry this, this tags or this branding. You know, some of the nicknames that we have, some of you have nicknames, you had nicknames, some of them good, some of them bad. I'd hate to, I can't really talk about them up here, but I remember some of our high school teachers' nicknames. And I, I, but I wouldn't want to kind of bring them out here in the service. They probably weren't very complimentary. But they had nicknames, they had brands, that, the labels that were significant that they carried. You know, the one I, one I used, and I hear other people use it uh, occasionally, I'll make a comment that he is a good man or she is a good woman. Now, you won't, you, you won't hear me use that very many times because for me, that's a very significant tag, a very significant label because it's reserved for people that, it, that at least in, in my experience with them, I know that they're full of good qualities. I know that they're honest. It's somebody that you can trust. When they tell you something, you can put it in the bank. You can trust them. They're really not the self-centered type. They're the people that are going to be giving. They're going to be the people that are reaching out and helping. But that's, that's for me, that's that person I call a good man or a good woman. So this tag of Christians was the same thing. It carried a particular significance because if you were a believer, you were a Christian, 
then who were you? You were a follower of Christ. Not a follower of religion. You were a follower of Jesus, of Christ, the Messiah. But it obviously carried different connotations, just like it does today. Because a Christian then, if you weren't a Christian, a lot of times you saw them as troublemakers, rioters, people that believed in things that weren't true and were and kind of developing this cult-like circumstance. Well, see, the Christian's first label, you remember from teaching through Acts, was the way. And why was it the way? Is because it was the way, their way of living. Okay? Let me say it again. The reason they were called the way it was because that was their lifestyle. They didn't talk about it. They lived it. That's how they conducted their affairs. That's how they took, a, took care of each other as the way. They were walking it, not just talking it. Now, see, Christian is, is a defining name. It's a tag because it is the follower of Christ. In verse 27, it goes on, it says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem in Antioch. One of them was named Agabus. He stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine could spread over the entire Roman world. That happened in the reign of Claudius. And what that does, it allows us some historical reference. The great thing about the Bible is if you go back and you start trying to track history, and you're trying to say, well, did this really happen? Did that really happen? Well, yeah, this, that famine that Agabus predicted, it really happened. It says that, that it, been the, it spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, and I thought this was kind of an interesting aside, but listen to some of the things in Acts that these people are called. They're called saints. Sometimes we think saints like saint somebody in the Catholic Church or something. But saints, you're a saint. If you're a believer... If you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a saint. A believer, called them brothers, witnesses, followers of the way. They'd be called Nazarenes and Christians. All of these different terms are the things that we're described as in the book of Acts. And then what it said was then is this famine spread over, so the disciples, and I like this, each is as they were able. So, you know, a lot of us, we have different means of income and different abilities but it didn't mean that they didn't give to the point that they were able to do it. And they decided to help the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul after they had left after that year of teaching. Now, in these short 13 verses, what we've heard about is we've heard about Saul, we've heard about Barnabas, and we've heard about Agabus. And we've heard mentions of things like the believers, the disciples, the church, the people have been mentioned. But see, here's a subtlety that I don't want you to miss today. And I'm going to call Paul and Barnabas and Agabus, I'm going to call them the headliners, okay? So like if you go to a, a town, uh, you know, and you see these big signs, and they'll put up there that so-and-so's there, the headliner. They'll have that sign up, this headliner. Now... If you looked at that, you, you might say, well, what did we talk about today? Well, we talked about Paul, we talked about Barnabas, and we talked about Agabus. But the reality is that what we miss is a subtlety that without the believers, the disciple, the church, the people, whatever tag you want to put on them, then this, the, we miss their importance. Because who are these people? Who are, you know, the people? If they, I mean, you know, if you had church and you just had those three guys show up, it wouldn't be much, would it? They might really encourage and teach each other. 
But it took this whole other body to be there. See, because without them, there was nobody to teach, nobody to encourage, nobody to preach to. But even more than that, there would be nobody to serve. And it takes a lot of people. If you're going to, you know, because one of the things they were doing is they were going to send money back to the people that were in the famine in Judea. So it's important that we understand that the, those guys were the headliners, but I don't want us to miss the subtlety that the reality is it was the church body that was moving and making things happen. Now, it's important again for us to know, we kind of know this instinctively probably, but it's important for us to know, and if you saw the little teaser I sent out earlier in the week, if you're on the email chain or maybe on Facebook, but it's important to know that this isn't this church that we're talking about, whether it was then or now, it's not an organization, okay? It's not the Rotary. It's not the book club. It's not the friends I have on Facebook. The church, the body, the way, the way Scripture describes it is it, it's an organism. It's not an organization, but it's literally an organism. The body of Christ is just that because we're, we're all parts you know, we're personalities, we have different spiritual gifts and abilities. It tells us that, that, that one part can't say to the other, I don't need you. Now, having said that, I can guarantee you that once in a while, the parts are going to aggravate each other. You know, as I was getting ready to come up here, my knee was talking to me. You know, it was kind of aggravating me. You know, in a church, that's going to happen, right? You're going to have people that have a different opinion. They come at it a different way. They may have a different D or an R behind their name, whatever it is. But the reality for us is we're all called to be a part of that body, to fulfill the mission. We talked about the yoking, and we saw the, the picture of the donkey and that, but we're called to be yoked to each other. Now, if you're yoked to each other, and Ashley says something to offend me, but she's a she is my daughter-in-law, so we've kind of got a whole different thing there. But let's say that Ashley says something that I don't agree with and it's relative to our church life together. Well, see, if we're yoked together, guess what? Think about the oxen, all right? They got this deal around their neck. Well, it's really not an option for them to say, well, I'm just going to run off. I'll just stay home. You've made me mad. I'm telling you, if you're yoked literally together, see the picture? If you're yoked together, that's not an option. It's kind of like in the marriage yesterday. We said, you know, you're being yoked together equally. And so you're, you're to stay together in that marriage. And that's the same way that we do as a church. We're bound together. See, we're, we're to, called to be encouragement to our brothers and sisters, to work through things that happen as a church body, because, again, we're also called a family. See, the church is really just a collection of us. Good, bad, ugly, different experiences, past addictions, it doesn't really matter. But see, we're called together as a church body. It's a collection of us. See, I, think, I see that church not as an organization, but an organism. Because at the end of the day, who are we? We're the hands and feet of Christ, right? That's who we are. We're the ones that carry out the mission, that, that spread the good news and that tell people about, about what just this good news is that we've experienced. Now, the church itself, the early church, functioned not because of all the great leaders. And it had a lot of great leaders. And I'm not saying they're not important, but it functioned because of the body of believers. It's important that we know that because I think sometimes, again, 
and I'll talk about it in a minute, but sometimes, again, I think sometimes we undersell how important we are to the body and its work. So here's some summary thoughts as I wind it up for you. Yoked. That was one of the things we were going to talk about. Being equally yoked and the importance of it. See, it's important because even in, in those early days, we saw, the, like I say, the graphic of the, the donkey and the ox. But the reality is we really weren't built to pull through this life by ourselves. We weren't built that way. You know, when, when, when the disciples first went out and he told them, go ye therefore, spread this good news, go find people that are lost, minister to them, he sent them out by twos. He didn't send them out by ones. And it's important that we understand that we're to be equally yoked. We're to be equally yoked in a marriage, in our, in our friendships. It doesn't mean we don't have friendships that, that we're trying to, to create some influence and let people see a, how, how a godly life might be different for them. But we are to be equally yoked. The second thing we're supposed to be is we're supposed to be encouragers. Encouragers. We're called to be that. Now, we're not just called to receive encouragement. We're called also to encourage other people. There are a lot of people that sit around and they're waiting for somebody to come and encourage them. But we have, we have a responsibility to be encouragers also. And I'm not talking about pumping sunshine up somebody's whatever that is. But I'm talking about thinking about something that's real and true that, that can edify someone's life in that fashion, right? What are you laughing about? I told you I was a country preacher, okay? I, I'm not like your skill guy. But the reality for us is we are called to be encouragers. Now, we receive encouragement. We should do it grace, graciously and gracefully. But we're also called to be encouragers of other people. And then there's your tag, your tag. That's one of the other things I told you that we talk about and we have. But the, that tag, see, your tag is who you are when you're out of hearing range. Okay? Let me say it again. Your tag is who you are when you're out of hearing range. Because if the conversation when you're out of hearing range is something different, then you kind of wonder, okay, well, who am I really? Is, do, do my friends, do the people at school, you know, classmates, whatever, children, do they see me different than I see me? You know, I'm, I have this, I kind of like, I wear my Sunday face. We had friends years ago, they would talk about going to church, and they had three little kids at the time, and riding to church in their car with the cheeseburger stuffed under the, under the, uh, the seat covers and all the stuff that they'd get into, and, you know, they're trying to get the kids there, and they're giving them a lecture about this is how you're going to be at church, and she said, but you know, when we'd pull up in church, you know, we'd get out of church and walk into church, and it'd be like, just like Mama and her three little ducklings. We'd just like this perfect family. Well, you know, the reality is, is, you know, we need to be consistent in our life. You know, people need to, the things that we'll, we won't hear what's said away from us, but the things that should be said away from us are the things that should still be the things that we would understand and would be said to our face. Because being a Christian, it isn't a Sunday thing, is it? It's a 724 thing. Boy, that's hard. You know, you're trying to live that way, and you're trying to be fruit 
you know, you're just trying to say, you know, I have fruit in my life. It's where it came from. You know, Christ is in my life, and, and I'm trying to live that out. I, I'm not error-free, but, but I want you to know how much I care about you, how much I care about my Lord, and how I want to do the right thing. The last thing that we talked about was our part, our part. That was the fourth point. See, each of us has a part to play in the body. I think that there are many people, our church, other churches, I don't care what church you go to, that really have the attitude, well, they won't miss me if I'm gone. Say it again. Some have the attitude, well, they won't miss me if I'm gone. You know, being there isn't all that important because I got all this other stuff, you know, that seems to kind of pile up on my priority list. So they really won't miss me if I'm gone. But see, that's not how God designed us. He, he designed us as a believer. He designed us to be producers. He designed us to participate in the body. He, he, he designed us to minister to other people and to pray for other people, to love other people, and support them in the good work of the church. That goes back to the, to the organism. So I, I just thinking, and this is maybe a foolish word picture, but I'm just thinking, you know, Karen, I think I'm going to run down to Lowe's. I don't believe I'll take my lungs with me, though. I'll just leave them here. Well, we wouldn't do that. But yet churches are full of, of people that think, that me being an active part of this organism isn't important. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture tells us that we're a big deal. Not in a boastful way, but we're important. So what I'm going to tell you, whether you're online or you're here, I'm going to tell you that you will be missed when you're not a part of the body. The organism isn't whole. It's only whole when you're all pulling together, functioning, equally yoked in the work. Now, last thing I've got to say before they come forward is this. Hopefully you've absorbed some of this. If you can't, you can go back and listen online. It's there for you. Now, one of the things I think that happens to us, and I've, we've talked about this any number of times through the years, but you have to have some margin in your life. Okay? Especially some of you, some of you that are like, you know, middle-aged and down and you're in you know, kid raising or maybe you've got a really active job, but you've got to create some margin in your life, okay? I'm a worse person to be telling you that, you know, because that's a constant struggle for me because my mother used to say, Tom, if there, if there wasn't a fire, you'd create one just so you'd have something to do, and that's about the way it was. But the reality is, when I talk about margin, we talked about, we've used the same word picture, you know, when you look at a page of print, they always leave a margin. There's extra there, right? They don't run them, the words don't go from the top to the bottom and all the way to the sides. And if you really want to be active in the body, if you want to have time and energy left for your family, you have to have margin in your life. Because if, if, if you don't have, what happens? Somebody needs something. Somebody needs you. You're at a place you can minister to other people, but you can't because you had no margin. You had no slack. You had no elasticity left in your schedule or energy to be able to do that. So think about that because those are the things we want to be. We want to be equally yoked as a body. We want to be encouragers, but we need to also be willing to accept, accept gracefully encouragement into our lives. We want to wear the tag proudly, 
Because when people are away from me and they're out of earshot, I don't want them saying something different than what I believe myself to be or I profess myself to be. And when it comes to, to being our part, you know, God designed us to be a part of the body, to be a functioning part of the body. And maybe, maybe what you do or how you do it, we have a lot of people that do, that serve very quietly. But God wants us all pulling somewhere, doing something for the kingdom. So let me pray for us as you think about that and as John and the group come back up to close us out this morning. Father, we do thank you. This, this message, I hope, has been one that it just was a, intended to encourage us, encourage us in good work. And Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that we, we drink in this experience of Paul and Barnabas and Agabus, but Lord, I really pray that what we also understand is without that body of believers, the body that we miss when they're not here, Lord, we can't function at full capacity. Lord, we know when an engine doesn't run right, it just doesn't have the power. Neither can a church. And Lord, we just pray as, as we just consider what we've talked about today and what a great day we've had in the Lord, I just pray that when we leave these doors, we understand that, hey, my tag is a 724 tag. I want to live my life out, not just profess it, not just talk it. But Lord, I do want to walk it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.